Hello, I'm Evan Reese, an Asia-Pacific analyst at Stratfor, and this podcast is being brought to you by Stratfor Worldview, the world's leading geopolitical intelligence platform. Individual, team, and enterprise memberships are available at worldview.stratfor.com slash subscribe. I was born into a military family, basically grew up on the drop zone and my father was a green beret and then he switched branches into the marine corps and one of his last duty stations was here in billings montana welcome to the stratfor podcast i'm fred burden i'm here today with jim markle the ceo of redox and he has an interesting story in how he turned his military career into a thriving business in Billings, Montana. Welcome to Stratfor Talks today, Jim. Well, thanks, Fred. It's good to hear from you. Tell me a little bit about uh, how you built your company. I think that's a very unique story in uh, your father having the business and you joining him. I think our listeners would love to know. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, I was born into a military family and um, basically grew up on the drop zone. And uh, my father was a Green Beret and then he switched branches into the Marine Corps. And one of his last duty stations was here in Billings, Montana. They had a little recon unit here back in the day of reservists. And um, I used to come up here on leave after I went on active duty and I would come up here and hunt and father and I kind of like conspired like to start a business. And one day he called me up. I was at Camp Pendleton at 1st Recon Battalion. And he's like, I need some webbing and some thread. I've got an idea. And so I <laughs> built, up a, built up a foot locker of some DMRO gear and threw it on a, on a Greyhound bus and sent it to Billings, Montana, FOB. And um, that was the start of Red Ox in 1986. And um, when I completed my tour of service was in 89, I did just one one hitch. And um, my dad's like, well, you need to go to college now. And, and it's like, and I'm like, I'm not going to college. And, you know, <laughs> so he finally, he finally convinced me to come up to Montana cause I didn't want to live in the cold and the snow. And I kind of liked, you know, having grown up around the bases of Camp Lejeune and Camp Pendleton. And I was on the army bases as well. I, I did not really see snow until I was almost a teenager and uh, and it was southern snow, so it wasn't like it's the stuff we get up here. <laughs> you get real snow, yes, sir. And and the cold, and but you know Montana kind of hooked me. I'd come up here, and then you know as the world got busier and 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 changed, I just really you know fell in love with the place. And and I've always been a maker. I mean, I was a woodworker, and I've done construction work and things like that on the side as a kid. And I just liked making things. And um, as a parachute rigger we made a lot of stuff. I would repair, you know, all the holsters or, or modify holsters or fix stuff for the corpsmen. The corpsmen were really in our shop quite a bit, you know, modifying packs and doing things like that. Jim, you have a tremendous number of followers that travel around the world. And I think when we first started talking uh, a few years back about uh, Stratfor and some of our analysis that we provide, you also uh, had commented about um, the kind of work we do here. So, you know, one of the things I do is, you know, having literally been born in a foreign country, I've always kind of considered myself a world, a citizen of the world, you know, and um, and so I always research countries when I'm going to them. And I do it in, in about three different ways. Number one, I buy a book, a history book about the country. 
And then I typically will find another book about the culture of the country. And then, of course, I also go online and, you know, I've used your, your, your summation reports that you, you do to basically give me the geopolitical situation on the ground. Um, there's always risk in traveling, but you can, you know, you can mitigate your risk by being situationally aware of what's going on. In the, and so that has been kind of my process. And I think in a lot of ways, it gives me insight and a little more connected to the, you know, the, the cultures that I visit, you know, even though I'm passing through those worlds, as I like to call them, um, I like to feel that I understand a little bit of what's going on, whether it's economics or politics or social issues. And I see, Jim, from your website, which uh, is, is phenomenal at redox.com, uh, you make uh, your monkey fist zip knot in Guatemala. Correct. Yeah, we, 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 we source the cord in the United States, but there's nobody in the United States going to sew hundreds of thousands of, or tie hundreds of thousands of hand-tied Turks head and monkey fist knot. So um, basically kind of like that, I don't know, that social responsibility of things, I had to know what the source was. If I was going to outsource something like this, I had to go to the to the head of the, the headwaters, as they say. So I went into Guatemala, you know, kind of, with you know my eyes wide open figuring this this is going to be an adventure and it and it really was at first i had to find where exactly they were being produced and then i had to meet the families that were making them and it it was a really sad situation so i set about influencing and correcting that to the best of my ability so jim what does that mean what exactly did you do to sort things out well after you know you get on the ground you know boots on the ground as they say and you're you're there in the situation and you assess the the living conditions and the health and sanitation conditions and to me, you know, I'm traveled all throughout the world and I, I just knew that it had to change. And so the first thing we did was the, the sanitation situation there was beyond non-existent. So the first thing I wanted to do was build a shower system and a, and a bathroom system and install you know, septic cistern and get, get their well working properly. So that was like the first thing, that first project that we did. And, you know, and some time passed, like a season or so. And then um, I went back the following year. And then the next thing was um, they were you know, wanting to do a workshop. And because, you know, when I literally when I got there, it was post hurricane Stan, And there was a hole in the wall where these people lived and worked and everything. And they had a piece of tin over it where the hurricane had blown through into their living quarters slash working quarters slash family, everything. And um, so the next thing we did is we built a workshop in the day and a, basically a home by night. And as the years have gone by, I would, I would go back and visit and things had flipped a little bit to like, Hey, we want to open up our own little Molino, which is a mill where you can, cause they harvest their corn by hand and they grind it in for their, for their tortillas and things like right within, like, let's say eyesight. So this, the stuff is grown on the hillside. It's harvested, it's processed and eaten all within say a 40 acre area. So they wanted to build a community Molino. And they, at this time though, they had become like entrepreneurial and in interacting with us. And they were like, no, we don't want you to give us anything. We'll, we'll do like a loan. We'll work it off. And so and I says, where are we going to put this thing? And, and the guy's like, well, the guy has a piece of land right next to mine, but he wants too much for it. And I'm like, well, how much? And, uh, <laughs> and he gets them on the phone. They were speaking in catchy cow. And the next thing you know, it was like $300, you know, you know how blessed we are to live in the United States and, and how many things that we waste money on. And, and I thought, my God, I've got this in my pocket. And 
I literally bought a piece of land for $300. I felt, and this I did give to them. And I did it because I had it and it was just one of those moments in my life I think I'll never forget. Well, that's awesome. And I also see you're engaged in a uh, project in Africa too. Uh, what's that about? Well, my good friend and neighbor and, and my hunting partner, he's like, well, I need you to help me. And so what I'm like, what do you need? So he needed pictures taken, stories written, and things like that. So I helped him create awareness for his trachoma project. And I would go with him, and sometimes I'd be gone three weeks. And we we originally we started out in Zambia, um, but political situation there got a little, a little hot for us. So we moved over to Namibia. And uh, we've had good success there with the Kalahari Orphanage there with the Bush kids and the branches around the country where we buy mosquito nets and hand those out. And he also does Zithromax, which is a, a drug used for the prevention of river blindness. It's about wow. I want to say 87 cents a tablet or something like that. And it lasts for a year and it prevents people's eyelids from turning under and scratching their corneas and making them go blind. That's incredible, Jim. Hold that thought. We'll be right back. When people ask me what we do here at Stratfor, I always try to say that we make sense of the world. Uh, look, I've been here now going on almost 20 years, and I've had lots of opportunities to go elsewhere. I've uh, been lucky enough to have cobbled together a few books, but I can say this, that when I sit around the analyst table every morning and watch uh, some of our analysis being put together, I think people uh, would be surprised. And I think that for those of you who really want to see why uh, the world works the way it does, uh, without the bias, without the spin, without the inside the beltway kind of uh, takeaways, uh, I would encourage you to take a look at what we do. Let me make you a special offer. Just head over to stratfor.com slash Fred. I think you're going to like it. And I thank you for listening. Now, when you look at manufacturing in the United States, I, I know that a uh, uh, tremendous amount of pressure and, and competition, for example, uh, from, let's say, China. And yes, sir. how is your philosophy different, Jim? Well, it's kind of like my projects abroad. I came to this town, and it was not much going on back here in the 80s. And, you know, we moved into the, the poorest part of Billings, Montana, and opened up several factories, and we're in our eighth factory now that we've built in a, a repurposed a building. So almost the same sort of invest in your neighborhood, build jobs. And I think the, the, the way that I was able to chart our path was I saw the Internet as the future of business. And so I had this epiphany of what is going to be the next business model, at least for somebody with my skill set, which is, you know, I'm no, I'm no Rhodes Scholar, you know what I mean? I joined the Marine Corps at 17, and all I knew how to do was jump out of airplanes and shoot stuff. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, that, at the time, not a highly employable skill when I, when I left the service. And because this, this is, pre, you got to think back, this is pre, you know, Gulf One. You know, right, my, right. You know, so I wasn't even, you know, I was out two years before that first Gulf War. Sure. So anyway, it was a tough economic time. And um, anyway, so I, I basically thought that, you know, adding the value, making the product, meeting the customer and selling it direct versus the traditional 20th century business model of uh, wholesaler, retailer, and all that. So I like to joke, nobody gets between me and my customers. Hmm. We have a tremendous uh, list of um, followers here at Stratfor that 
our former veterans are, are currently uh, deployed. Uh, what do you think the skills you learned in, in the Marine Corps have helped you in, in the course of putting your business together? I like to say that everything I ever learned about running a company, I learned in the military, not realizing it at the time, like how to deal with stress, how to deal with people, how to deal with challenges, and basically not, you know, being dissuaded from my goals. And, you know, people told me it was impossible to make things in America. And people told me all these things, and you're never going to do this, you're never going to do that. And I just told them, that, you know, nothing. I'm like, okay, well... I'm going to do it, you know, and and so it's, it's, you know, it's been a long journey, you know, to get to the point that we're at these days, you know, all along the way, you know, we've broken every rule. We grew, we built a factory and we now have a, you know, a retail store. We've currently uh, redeveloped some property in the neighborhood. I built an outdoor amphitheater right beside our retail thing. And, you know, cause this was in an industrial wasteland down here in the east side of downtown and nobody wanted this property. And so you can't mess it up, as I like to say. And so, yeah, yeah, so it's yeah. Uh, everything you're ever going to really need to know about how to succeed in life, whether you realize it or not, you got those skills imprinted upon you at an, at an early age. And when you look at, for example, you have beautiful marketing collateral and so forth. I'm looking at your uh, travel journal now, and and you're appealing to uh, people that are in, into the outdoors and hiking and obviously travelers and and so forth um yeah there you know there's a i guess i'm a a a, a suppressed artist in a lot of ways you know i i I can't draw a straight line but i can i can describe my visions to my graphic artists who i've worked with for over 20 years and and i just get right down to the basics of what i think works and you know i'm back in the days when we had alice packs yeah sure you know you know i'm like i hated those damn things you know and (laughs) and and we have always joked that a lot of military stuff doesn't work well in the civilian market because right. it's built mil spec for the webbing's a different size. Everything is designed around the warfighter mission, not necessarily to go down to the coffee shop and hang out with your iPad, you know. So, but there you still need that durability, right? You you know we hate wasting money, um, and I, and I'm not exactly going to baby things. And that was you know the kind of the the start of everything you see here came about because after spending many many days out in the field and you destroy gear here it's like it can go from negative 40 to 105 degrees that's a you know in a full year and so in dust and dirt and all that and if you're out using your gear all the time you know you're just destroying stuff and i i literally you know walked through the bottoms of a pair of high-end crossfit shoes in 90 days, 90 days, I throw them away and I buy another pair. It's just like, I'm, I'm a go, 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 you know, kind of person. And I know that there's, you know, not everybody's like that, but there's people that, that do things in their, you know, in their daily life that, you know, whether you're going and getting groceries and you're supplying food for the family, um, and you buy a a $9 tote bag and it just blows apart and, you know, breaks stuff in the, in the driveway, you know, we make a little market tote that you can fill it full of rocks and pick it up, you know? So it lasts a lifetime. It provides value that way, and it won't let you down on the other side of the planet or in your own driveway. What's your best-selling product? Um, We are heavily into the railroad. We do a lot with the railroad engineers. Um, There's probably that's, you know, the railroad grip is kind of like a standard equipment as for a railroader. Like you think of a railroad engineer wearing a Carhartt jacket, a railroad grip, and a pair of white boots, you know, it's kind of like a uniform. Sure. And then out of, you know, out of that point, then it goes all over the map. We have a very strong business following. So like the Air Boss or the Metro Briefcase, but 
you know, we've started the trend, um, you know, really younger. So it's it's now some of the smaller items like um, the micromanager where you can carry your your iPad and things like that. So the smaller electronic trends, people don't typically, you know, some people have laptops. I, I gave mine up a few years ago, and I've pretty much just run on an iPad and a, and a phone. And most of the time, just a phone. That seems to be like the, the heart of our business is like the, you know, business travelers. You would think that we're more adventure travel because we have with all the bright colors and stuff like that. But it seems like there's still people traveling for business quite a bit. What's next for uh, Red Ox? I've, I know you've given so much back to the community there in Billings. And, but what's next? What do you, where do you see Red Ox being, uh, you know, over the next three to five years? I want to grow again. You know, we, we grew to a, you know, we grew and built different buildings and then we kind of built our ultimate factory about six years ago. It took about a year to remodel this building. And so I'm ready to start, you know, reaching out and growing again and getting to a broader audience and all still direct. I don't want to, you know, put our stuff at, you know, in the outdoor retailer market. Um, so that's kind of, for me, it's continuing to grow online and, um, you know, adventure the world and, and keep developing product. We've recently uh, started to do things like the Red Eye Collective, which is this our crazy ideas because we can you know develop a product in house really rapidly. You know, we don't have to. We don't. We're not dealing with the um, overseas supply chains and volume. So, if need be, we can develop a product and build as few as twenty units. Um, that's kind of where I want to flex on our nimbleness. You know, continue that. I guess whole travel light freeze at night kind of motto that we learned in the military, but sure. um, I like that aspect of it. That to me is more stimulating than just being like, Oh, we're just going to go and buy container loads or whatever from China. I'm, I'm a hardcore, I guess, um, made in America guy. So we, you know, we source from Barry compliant. I don't know if you're, I imagine a lot of your listeners are familiar with the Barry amendment, but basically it's, you know, sourcing the raw materials from the United States. So like a military contracting company. So, when I say mill spec for the civilian market, you know, that's like up our supply chain. That's the road we take. Jim, looking back and looking ahead, would there be anything you would do differently looking back on your life or in the course of uh, your your business? Wow, that's a that's a big question. You know, you if, looking back at my whole life, growing up the way I did as a military kid and, and, and joining it at, at a young age. And uh, I think I went on a delayed entry program at 16 and left for boot camp at 17. I, that was the big adventure, you know, um, and then transitioning out of the military was a little scary at the time. And, you know, knowing what I was not knowing what I was going to do in the world and then trying college and failing miserably at it. And then finding business, I think, is where I've kind of found my home and, you know, coming to Montana, quote, like a pioneer type thing. I don't know. There's much different. You know, we all dream of that palm tree in the sand. I don't think so. I think that, you know, as they say, the struggle in making things in America is all part of the enjoyment of, of, of conquering those challenges, right? So I've made my mistakes, but there's really no regrets. You know, I mean, I've gotten a lot of satisfaction out of being able to dream something up and make it happen. And I don't know where else you could do that unless you work for yourself as an entrepreneur. I, I certainly understand that, and, and Jim, uh, I want to say, uh, one, uh, thank you for what you have done for our country with your Marine Corps as, as well as your father, and, and thank you for what you have done in building that business in Billings, Montana, and we really appreciate you being on the Strat4 podcast today. Well, thank you, Fred. Love to speak again sometime. We'll have details about domestic and international supply chains in our show notes. 
If you're interested in learning more about Stratfor Worldview, our premier publication for anyone interested in geopolitics and world events, be sure to visit worldview.stratfor.com. Subscribe. I'm Fred Burton. Thanks for listening.